Good morning. There we go. Good morning. Welcome to Journey. I want to give a shout out to everyone watching online. And uh, maybe you're on a treadmill right now or you're ironing your clothes and we love you. We can't wait to see you in the room. There's something about being together, right? And we know some of you can't be here, but uh, there's something about being in the room together, experiencing God's presence together. Well, if you've been at Journey Church over the last month, you know that we are in a series called Unshaken, and uh, we're going through 1 Thessalonians chapters 3 and 4. Today, we find ourselves near the end of chapter 4, and so I want to invite you in your own Bibles to look up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll have maybe a little bit of this up on the screen, but a whole lot of this we're not going to have up there because we're going to be reading a lot, and, and when I'm done reading in 1 Thessalonians four, keep your Bible open there because we're going to keep going into chapter five a little bit this morning as well. So if you're new to Journey or if you're new to this series, basically Thessalonians is an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul back around AD 51 to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Thessalonica. It was a pretty large city, city of about 200,000 people. And in this city was a very a pagan, idolatrous place um, where there was lots of worship to all kinds of different um, uh, false gods and, and temples to these different gods. And, and Paul had visited Thessalonica to bring the gospel. There weren't any followers of Jesus. This is so weird for us. Like it's so hard for us to imagine that a city of 200,000 people, that there wouldn't be any. But, but this movement of following Jesus was brand new. I mean, this is just few years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. So Paul comes into Thessalonica and he just starts sharing the gospel with anybody that he could. And the gospel, maybe you don't know what that word is, it's the good news that there is one who has come to rescue us and to save us from our sin. That every single one of us, even the good-looking, well-dressed people who got it all together and you got a nice smile plastered on your face this morning, every single one of us, including yours truly, have sinned against God. In fact, the Bible says we're sin-stained and sin-covered, that in and of ourselves, that we are broken and helpless and powerless, that we don't have what it takes to have a right relationship with God in and of ourselves. The gospel, the good news, is that God sees that, and that he made a way through Jesus, that he sent Jesus, the Son of God, to come to this earth, and not only to teach good sermons and to teach the Sermon on the Mount and heal people and perform miracles, but ultimately Jesus came to this earth to die in our place. That he was nailed to a cross, he was horrifically tortured, brutally executed, and in that he was taking upon himself the curse of all of our sin. He was, it, was, it was a substitutionary atonement that he was taking all of our sin upon himself, all the punishment that we deserve upon himself, and he died on that cross. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he busted through the wall of death. He was bodily resurrected from the grave. And so Paul comes to Thessalonica, and he starts sharing this message that Jesus is the, the one that the Jews had been looking forward to for centuries. And he's the Messiah, and he's come to rescue us and to save us. And, and, and one at a time, I mean, this wasn't like a major movement like that happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. This is just one at a time people begin to believe the message of Paul and begin to follow Jesus. But this is all brand new to them. They don't have Christian radio stations. They don't have podcasts that they can listen to or a favorite preacher on YouTube that they can go to. They have no books. They have no Bible at this point. All they have are the teachings of the Apostle Paul in a culture that is totally opposed to them following Jesus. 
In fact, it's so weird that this culture was open to all kinds of other ideas and all kinds of other worship. But when this small, motley crew of people begin to follow the name of Jesus, all of a sudden the empire like goes, what? We can't have that. And they try to snuff it out. And Paul and his partner Silas have to run for the hills. This is all described in Acts chapter 17. They have to run because the, the people are after them to kill them. And this new church, I mean, just maybe a couple dozen people, maybe at the most a couple hundred people in a city of 200,000 people, this small group are left grappling with, how do we follow Jesus in a moment when everyone is opposed to us? The leader of their church was a guy named Jason. You didn't know Jason was like a biblical name, did you? Like, you're like, Jason? That's in the Bible? Acts chapter 17, the leader of this church is Jason, and they haul Jason into jail, and they imprison Jason. Believers in Thessalonica start getting killed for their faith. Property is being confiscated. Like people start disowning them. You're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter because you're a follower of the way. You're a follower of Jesus. And, and these, these believers are just like, what in the world? What is going on? Like we really believe that Jesus is our Savior. We really do believe that God has done something different in us. But man is this hard. Man is this hard. I just want to pause right here, and I want to, anybody who's here who thinks that when you become a follower of Jesus, that everything's going to be cupcakes and unicorns, can I just tell you that's not in the Bible? Sometimes when you decide to get baptized and go public with your faith, all of hell will break loose against you. I just want you to be prepared that you don't go, oh, I thought I was going to live my best life now. And now it seems like all of this opposition is coming my way. And this is what happened to the believers in Thessalonica. All this opposition started coming their way. And they didn't know, like, can we get through this? Can we survive this? And they were discouraged and there was despair. And Paul writes a letter to them to encourage them. And this is where we're going to pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I said all that. I rambled on and on. Are you there? Everybody there? Maybe on your Bible app on your phone. 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to pick up in verse 13. And are you guys ready to read some scripture? Everybody ready? We're going to read some scripture this morning. Verse 13 it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Let's just pause right there. So evidently what's going on is believers are dying in this new, brand new group of Jesus followers. And most scholars believe that they're not dying of old age. That they're dying specifically because they have become followers of Jesus. So he says, so in your midst there are believers who have died, and we want you to know what will happen to them, because we don't want you to grieve like people who don't have hope. I, I want to say something about this. Sometimes people take this verse and they interpret it to mean that you and I shouldn't grieve if we're followers of Jesus. And I want you to, that's not what's going on in this passage. Paul is not saying, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not allowed to grieve the fact that someone that you love has died. Are, are you all with me? In fact, in fact, the Bible says that Jesus, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied of Jesus that he would be a man of sorrows. There's a passage in John 11 where Jesus grieves over the, the death of his best friend. And someone would argue, well, he wasn't grieving over his death, but he was grieving when everybody else was grieving. He was upset in his soul. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And maybe you don't know what that means, but lament is deep deep sorrow from deep within you. And this, this book of the Bible is all about lamenting the, the, the death, really, of Jerusalem. 
So, so here's what I want you to know. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we, we mourn and grieve when people close to us die. And that's appropriate. And you should. And by the way, everybody grieves different. And you shouldn't judge someone else's grief based on your grief. I see this a lot in marriages where someone close to a marriage and the husband grieves one way and the wife grieves another way and they start having like animosity toward each other because, well, you're not grieving the way I'm grieving. There's a whole other sermon. And we, preach, we preached about grief before here. But I want you to know, Paul's point is we, we grieve, but we do not grieve like people who don't have hope. See, followers of Jesus recognize that this life is not the end. We recognize that there is such a thing called eternity. And if eternity was a timeline, I mean, think about stretching a rope from one side of this worship center to the other side of this worship center and saying, this is a timeline of eternity, which would be bonkers because that wouldn't even be close to what eternity is. And if I was to take a Sharpie marker and I was to make a dot on, the, on a rope somewhere in the middle of the rope, that would represent our life. Our life is a blip. It's a spitting in the wind, which I'm really good at. It's, it's here today, and it's gone tomorrow, right? Like, that's what Ecclesiastes tells us. That's what other places in Scripture. And, and so we understand that this life, as precious, as meaningful, as impactful as this life is, that it's just a blip on the radar compared to eternity. And that we have the hope that one day we will spend eternity with those who have gone before us. Paul, Paul keeps on going. He says... Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Now, this is important. Maybe you're brand new to this. You're going, whoa, whoa, what is this? Like, uh, what's going on here? Jesus, in his ministry, his three years of ministry in the Gospels over and over again, not only foretold that he was going to to die and that he would be raised from the dead, but he constantly was telling his followers that he would come back again a second time, that the Son of Man would return, just like the prophets, especially Daniel, talked about the coming of the Son of Man, that Jesus would come just as he left. He says, verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. That sentence kind of sounds confusing, but he unpacks it. He says, for the Lord himself, that's Jesus, for the Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. This isn't going to be some little like pansy like, hey y'all, right? Like Jesus, you, you think you know the voice of Jesus, but I'm telling you when Jesus comes back and when he gives this commanding shout, I think of it as like a roar of a lion, with the voice of the archangel, and again, uh, sometimes we think of angels. My, my grandmother, God, God rest her soul, a beautiful woman, she loved collecting angels. Her whole living room was filled with little porcelain angels, little statues of angels all over the place. She was a good Roman Catholic woman. Loved my grandma. And you know what? Growing up, I, I thought the angels were like little naked, you know, babies with a little like sprouted wing on their end and like... And you go, and then I started reading what the Bible says about angels. That these are like warrior angels, like that anytime an angel would appear, people like wanted to fall to their face and suck carpet. And he, he says, man, there's going to be the commanding shout of Jesus. There's going to be the voice of one of these warrior angels. And then he says there's going to be a trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And listen, 
any sci-fi movie that you've seen has nothing on what that moment's going to be like. Think about over the last 2,000 years, believers who have been burned at the stake and their ashes were scattered all over to try to desolate them or or, or, uh, people who died out on the seas and whose bodies were thrown into the seas who were followers of Jesus. Think about that moment when those who are dead in Christ will rise first. It's going to be like, I mean, Avengers, Thanos, you know, the whole finger thing, the dust thing. I mean, you're going to be blown away. I can't wait. It's going to be crazy, right? And yes, I believe all of this. I believe all of this. Verse 17, then, I love this, then, together with them, with those who, are di- who have died and are now being called up first, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. We're going to come back to those two words, caught up in just a moment. We'll be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I'm telling you, it's going to be whacked. It's going to be so cool. These, these words caught up, sometimes people, you know, get their, get their panties in a wad over the word rapture. You know, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Well, the word trinity isn't in the Bible. But the word rapture is a Latin word, raptura, for these words caught up. This is where we get this idea of rapture, that we will be caught up right there in verse 17. We will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then I love this. And this is what we should be focusing on. So many times we focus on the when and the how and and our timelines and all this. This is what we should be focusing on. Then we will be with the Lord forever. It's a promise. If you are in Christ, and we've talked about that so much a journey. If you are in Christ, if you've received the grace of God, if you've humbled yourself and said, Jesus, I can't, but you can. And through your death and resurrection, I ask you to forgive me and be my master and leader. If you are in Christ, you have a confidence that you will meet the Lord and you will be with him forever. And in fact, Paul reiterates this in verse 18. He says, so encourage each other with these words. Like, this should be an encouragement of each other. And so, so I just want to, when I was growing up, I, I heard this teaching. And, and listen, my, the church I grew up in was a great church. I, I love the church that I grew up in. But sometimes they would use this as like a fear thing. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. And so I kind of lost, sometimes because of the forest, you lose the tree, right? You, you lose what's most important. And so I just want to first of all address the, the question that always comes up when we talk about this, When? When is this going to happen? Because there's a lot of people out there who have opinions. A lot of people out there who will name dates of when this is going to happen. Here's what the Bible says regarding when. We're going to go through these real quickly. Number one, it will be unexpected. The coming of the Lord, the coming, Jesus coming is going to be unexpected. He, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, so if you skip it now to chapter 5, remember there was no chapter numbers or verse numbers when Paul wrote this. And so this is one continuing letter. So now we're in chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Paul says, I really don't need to write to you about how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters. Verse 2, why? Why don't you need to tell us, Paul? Verse 2, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come. Anybody, if you have that in front of you, it will come When? unexpectedly. He says, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 40. He says, you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. 
So the first thing you need to know about the timing of the Lord's return, it will be unexpected. Number two, it will be soon. It will be soon. Here, one of my, there's so many, Jesus said it all, all the time in the Gospels that, that he was coming. But, but here's my favorite reference, is in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, a book of the Bible, by the way, called Revelation. Not some of your favorite TV preachers and stuff like to call it Revelations. If you look it up in your Bible, you'll see it's Revelation singular because it's not about the dragon and the beast and the harlot and all this stuff. It's about Jesus. It's the Revelation shun, singular, the Revelation of Jesus. And at the end of this book that is so, you know, people have all kinds of different ideas and stuff about what's going on in there. But at the end of the book, we, we, we revisit Jesus, a vision of Jesus. And Jesus says, look at this, in verse 7, Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus says, Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Isn't that amazing? Okay, but wait, that's not all. In verse 12, Jesus again says, I am coming soon. That's pretty awesome, right? But wait, there's more. In the second to last verse of the Bible, in verse 20, Jesus again says, I am coming soon. How many times is that? Three times in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, literally in the second to last verse of the entire Bible, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. He says it three times. Why does he say it three times? He's hoping we'll get it. He's like, hello, McFly. Hello, I'm coming soon. Oh, you didn't get it. All right. Uh, hey, hello, I'm coming soon. Oh, you didn't get it. Let me say it again. Hello, I'm coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Number three, it will happen according to his timetable. And this is in 2 Peter chapter 3. And, and Peter goes, I want to remind you that in the last days, there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. Okay, I, I would just want to pause and say, that's right now. Right now, you can find podcasts, you can find YouTube videos of people absolutely scoffing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you, there are people literally doing everything that, that enters into their minds to do right now. If you don't believe me, call your local teacher. Middle school, high school teachers will tell you stories that will blow your mind. People just doing whatever they feel like doing. Verse 4, this will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far as back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. Can I tell you, there's a resurgence in, in YouTube. If you go to YouTube, you will find hundreds of videos of uh, kids, not, they're not kids now, young adults who grew up in the evangelical church, grew up in the church, and who, who are making fun of the gospel, scoffing, like, I grew up hearing that Jesus is coming back, he hasn't come back, like, what's up with him not coming back? I mean, Peter is nailing it, right? You guys all with me? He says, verse 8, but you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, we're all going, well, it's been 2,000 years, and God, God is in our time, but do you know he's not in our time? He is in our time, but he's also outside of our time because he's God. He's like in our time, and he's outside of our time. That make my brain, it makes my brain hurt to think about the nature of God, right? He's not us. He's not bound by the things that bind us. And to God, a day, 
It's like a thousand years. A thousand years, it's like one day. God is not being slow in keeping his promises. He made a promise that he will keep. And before, before we get into to the rest of this, I got to tell you, growing, I, how, many, how many of you grew up hearing this? Or to some degree or form, you, like, you grew up hearing about the second coming of Jesus. That's it? Like, seriously, raise your hand right now, all together, all at once. Okay, so a lot of you grew up, some of you, maybe this is brand new. I grew up hearing this, and I got to admit to you that growing up hearing this, it was, it, th- this whole message was kind of like, like this. And my reaction to the fact that Jesus was coming back was not one of excitement. My reaction was one of fear. I'm just saying for me, maybe this wasn't your story, this is just my story. It's hearing about the second coming of Jesus. It, it was kind of like a... It's got to happen in any moment, right? <laughs> right? Like, oh! This, this, I'm, I'm not even, I, I know I'm u- kind of using some humor here. Th- this was how I thought of the coming of Jesus. It was like, oh, oh fear, right? Anxiety. Like, when's the music going to stop? And Jesus is going to appear. And I walk in my house expecting my mom to be home and she wouldn't be home. And I was like, he came! <laughs> and I missed it, right? Can I tell you, this is not, this is not the attitude that our Lord wants for us to have regarding his second coming. I think it's, and this isn't even, I mean, I'm just going to give you an analogy for me, for me and my marriage, and, and maybe this will resonate, maybe it won't resonate at all, but, but, but I'm a married man who loves my wife. I, it's like one person's like, oh, that's a cool thing. Like, I love, I love my wife. I, I'm a married man who, I know this sounds, this sounds crazy, I love being with my wife. I don't like it when my wife leaves. This weekend, there was a women's retreat. How many of you were part of the women's uh, retreat that was this weekend? Yeah, two of you? I thought there was a whole lot more. Okay. And so my wife went to this thing, and I, I hate it when my wife is gone. I know. You're like, man, you got issues. <laughs> I, I just, I hate it when my wife is gone. I, just, I don't like her being gone. I, I can't wait for her to get back. And, and I knew that she was coming back yesterday, and so I do what, what good husbands do when they know that their wife is coming back. I'm looking forward to her coming back. I'm not scared of her coming back, but I want the house to look nice when mama comes back, right? So I've got three kids. I got a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old. I'm like, all right, help me out. We're, we're making sure the dishes are all clean and the sink is clear, and we're making sure beds are made. We're making sure the living room is picked up. We, we want, when mama comes home, I don't want her to come in and go, oh, man. I want her to come in and go, oh, right? Here, here's the analogy. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work in your mind because of your situation, but for me, I cannot wait for Jesus to come back. And all of my efforts in being prepared aren't out of fear, like, oh, no, when's he going to pop out of the sky? My efforts are, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, I love you. You are the one that I adore. I can't wait to be with you. I know a lot of people have reasons for not waiting until they go to heaven, and, and it revolves around, I can't wait to see my grandma, or I can't wait to see this person. All those things are valid. But you know what I can't wait for? I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to see. I, can't, I know I'm going to fall to my knees. I know I'm, gonna, I know I'm not even going to be able to like, handle it. But I can't wait to see Jesus. I cannot wait to see him. 
And this is why when we get to the, 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 this in scripture about Jesus' second coming and there's all kinds of directions that we could go, but really, really when it boils down to it, the so what of this is if the scripture is true, and I believe it is, and if Jesus is coming back and I believe that he is, what should be my response? I would say there's really basically two responses. Number one, make sure that your friends are ready. I know a lot of you in this room would say, I've received the grace of God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I know I'm going to be with Jesus when he returns. Do we really believe that Jesus is coming back? And I know it's easy in church circles. It's easy on a Sunday morning when we're talking about this to go, amen, brother Ken. I believe he's coming back. But I would push a little further. I don't want any kind, you don't need to respond to me. I'm not looking for an amen. But I would push you a little bit and say, do you really believe that Jesus is coming back? Because I think, I think that it would impact us and maybe we would, it would cause us to do things and to prioritize issues that, that maybe we aren't prioritizing. Are your friends ready for Jesus to come back? Jesus said this in Matthew 24. He says, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. Jesus is saying this. These are Jesus' words. He's reaching all the way back into Jewish history, reminding them of the events of Noah and the ark. You guys remember that story? And Noah, most, most biblical historians who look at the book of Genesis, there's several verses that cause us to believe that it took Noah at least 100 years to build the ark. Back then they lived longer, their DNA was, wasn't as defiled as it has become over years, and so they lived longer back then. And so can you imagine for 100 years, probably even more than that, Noah is working on this ark, him and his sons building this ark. And can you imagine the people who lived around Noah can you imagine their attitude? Like maybe at first it was like curiosity, but I got to imagine after about 20 years or so, they're going, this guy is off his rocker. Like, can we call someone? Can we get him like locked up? Like, is, is there any kind of medications we can get this guy on? Like, seriously, he's building a boat and we've never experienced rain. There's no body of water within miles of here. And Noah just keep, he keep, and, and they start making fun of him. They start making fun of his family. If there was YouTube back then, I promise you, there would be all kinds of YouTube videos about him and all kinds of snarkiness and TikTok stuff going on and making fun of Noah. And Jesus says, he says, listen, people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came. And at that point, it was too late because God had closed the doors of the ark and, and, and the the, the bowels of the ground burst forth with water, and, and, the, and the earth began to flood. And he says, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man because that's how Daniel referred to Jesus as, as, as the Son of Man. So he's talking about the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. He says, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. And listen, this is the way it's going to be. Two people are going to be working at Krogan Colonial Bank and one is going to be taken and the other is left. Two are going to be on the line at Whirlpool and one is going to be taken and the other is going to be left. Two are going to be at Clyde High School or Oak Harbor Middle School and one is going to be taken and the other is going to be left. This, this is the words of Jesus, by the way. These are red letter words. He says, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. 
right? RC, if you knew, if you knew someone was going to break into your house, you'd be ready. <laughs> you wouldn't be here. You'd be there ready and prepared, and that guy would not make it out, right? Listen, that just makes sense, right? Now, Jesus isn't comparing himself to a thief or to a robber. He's a giver of good and perfect gifts. He's saying if we, have, if we have that kind of attention to our own possessions and wanting to protect our own possessions, what about our souls? Aren't our souls all the more important? He says, you also, verse 44, you also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Again, this isn't that we're to be prepared out of fear. This is we're to be prepared out of love. So what, what can we do about this? I put in your notes three things. I, I think these are so important. That the, three, the most important things that we can do about this is pray for our friends. Pray. You say, Ken, I, I don't know what to pray. I, there's three bullet points here. I'll just read them from your notes. Pray that God would send the Holy Spirit to convince your friends of their sins and their need for God. Pray that Satan would no longer be able to keep your friends blinded to God's truth. Pray that you would be a good example of Jesus to your friends, that God would give you the right words to speak to them at the right moment. Listen, I know culture says that they don't need our prayers. Prayer is effective. Prayer is powerful. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. If you've got friends that you love, family members that you love, sons and daughters, grandchildren, the most important thing that you can do is pray for them. Bring them to the Lord. Every time you think of them, pray for them. God, I pray that you would convince them of their need for you. God, I pray that your spirit would, would, would that, that you would unblind them. I, we rebuke and renounce every lie of Satan against these friends, against our, 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 our family members, right? God, give me wisdom. And it's not just to know what to say. Sometimes it's wisdom to know what not to say. Sometimes we've been guilty of saying some things that aren't helpful. Sometimes we've been guilty of posting some things that just aren't helpful. They don't help the conversation along. What else can we do? Pray, but what else can we do? Invest. Invest in their lives. Express interest in your friends' lives. Be concerned about them. Listen to their stories and really listen. And don't treat them like a project. Have you ever been treated by someone else as a project? I have. I have a friend recently who hadn't been a part of my life for years, and all of a sudden, and it's through social media, right? You get this friend request, and you're like, that's crazy, you know? Like, you want to be my friend? And, and, and I come from the days where I, I was the last person picked in middle school and high school for, like, everything. Because, I, you know, I could run fast, but I had no eye-hand coordination. I couldn't do anything else. And so I, I'll be honest, a lot of times growing up, I was kind of, like, on the outside looking in. And so when this cool person from high school is, like, reaching out, you're like, oh, they want to be my friend? And then you find out that the whole thing's like they're into Amcor or whatever. Well, you know, I'm not just, if, if you're in that, that's great. Or selling some kind of product. And, but the, the first, they did this whole thing of like trying to butter you up and try to care about you. And you're like, and then you go, I was just a project. I was just a project. They were doing the same thing to 50 other people all at the same time. Listen, your friends don't want to feel like a project. We love them because Christ loves them. And so we're praying, God, give me a love. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to one-up them. I'm listening because I love them and I care about them. And I'm not saying stupid things to them like, I know exactly how you feel. Because nobody ever knows how somebody else feels. 
So they're sharing, and I'm saying, man, that must be really hard. I cannot imagine how you feel right now. And I listen some more. And then when opportunities come up, I just say, hey, I, I don't have anything to offer you, but can I pray for you? And they're like, yeah, that would be great if you prayed for me. Can I pray for you right now? Ooh, really? And, you, you just, and listen, some of you are so afraid. Oh, I can't pray for them. What if I pray the wrong prayer? What if I pray wrong? You cannot pray wrong. You, can, you can't. I've seen God answer prayers that I go, you answered that guy? Look in the Bible at some of the prayers that God answers. You can't pray wrong. When you pray in faith and you pray for your heart and you pray out of a motivation of love for your friend, you can't mess it up. And then invite. Invite. Invite your, fr your friends into your, your group of Christian friends. Invite them to, to the life group that you go to. Invite them to things that are going on at church. Invite them to a service. Invite them. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is Jesus goes up to this tax collector named Matthew, and, and Matthew's sitting at a table, like literally, like counting his money. And Jesus says, Hey, I want you to follow me. And Matthew's going, Me? I'm not religious. In fact, if I walk into church, the, the ceiling's gonna collapse. <laughs> Jesus goes, No, I want you to follow me. And Matthew goes, Hey, can we do something though first? I'm having this party at my house. I'm wondering, would you come to my party? And Jesus goes, man, I've never turned down a good party. Right? Jesus got criticized by religious leaders because he was constantly going to parties, hanging out with religious people. Here's a great thing about Jesus. Like, the, 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 the notorious sinners loved Jesus because he was real. He would speak truth. But he wasn't trying to pretend to be something that he wasn't. Jesus goes to this party, and again, the religious leaders lose their ever-living minds over this. And Matthew, I think Matthew's whole heart was, man, I'm just praying that if my friends have some time around Jesus and rub shoulders with Jesus, something's going to happen inside of them. Man, inv invite your friends. There's a, a survey done by uh, Barna Institute. Barna's kind of, if you've heard of Gallup, Gallup is known for their political surveys, and especially around this time of the year, you'll hear about all kinds of political things that they're doing. Gallup primarily does surveys, nationwide surveys, based on faith and spirituality, and they've been around for decades. And Barna did, did a, a study, this was a couple years ago, and basically researched people who do not attend church, have no church affiliation, don't attend church. And the question was, if a Christian friend invited you to go to church, would you go with them? And you know, it's basically, I'm, I'm, I'm reducing the numbers to make it easy, but it's basically one out of every three said that if a Christian friend invited them to church, that they would go with them. That's crazy. Now, here's our problem. And I'm, I'll say ours because this is, this is how I react. That means two out of every three is going to reject me. <laughs> And so because of the two that will say no, we never invite anybody, even though one out of every three would say yes. So when you came in this morning, you got a card somewhere in one of my pockets. You got a card. Did everybody get one of these when you came in? If you didn't, they'll be at the table when you leave. And at the top of the card, it just says pray, invest, invite. And then it says, I will pray for, invest in, and invite. And it, there's lines for just three people. These can be friends, these can be family members, people that, now, now you're, you're not putting like, 
like Joe Biden or Donald Trump on here, okay? Like, you have no influence in their lives other than through prayer. Like, these are people that you know well enough that you have the ability to invest in their lives. Three people. I'm going I'm to ask you just to take a moment to write down three names. And in a few minutes, I, I want to pray over those names. So I talked about making sure that your friends are ready. Here's the last thing I just, and, and we're just going to spend a minute with this. The, the second thing is make sure you are ready. Jesus is coming back, and, and the question I have for you is, are you ready? Is your heart one of fear regarding that, or anxiety, or stress? Or are you prepared? Are you going, man, I'm ready. I cannot wait for Jesus to come back. In fact, it would be awesome if before Ken prays, if Jesus would just come back right now. Come, Lord Jesus. If you're not ready, you can be. You can have a confidence, not a, I hope so. I meet so many people and I ask, are you ready? And they I hope so. No, you can know so. You can have a confidence that I know whether it's Jesus coming back or maybe it's on my way home from church, I get hit by a Mack truck and I'm dead. And this Wednesday you guys are at a funeral and afterward eating potato salad and saying nice things about me. Listen, I know I'm going to be with Jesus and I cannot wait. You can know. You can have confidence. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. So we've been around Journey, you know that usually this is the time of the service where we have everyone bow their heads and close their eyes and ask you if you're not right with Jesus, if you want to make Jesus the master and leader of your life, if you want to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to, to, to raise your hand and we're not going to embarrass you, we're not going to have you come forward. This morning's not like that. I've been praying and as I was praying about this service, I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to do something if someone is bold enough to actually come forward. I'm going to impart a strength and a courage and a power upon them. And now here, here's the resistance. I just want to say this ahead of time. Before I even do this, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be, there's, the pushback is going to be, there's a room full of people. They're watching. What will they say? What will they think? This could be so embarrassing. Can I tell you, if we can't stand for Christ in front of a room full of people who are followers of Jesus... It's going to be really hard to do it tomorrow at work. It's going to be really hard to do it on Tuesday at school. So this isn't an embarrassment thing, and it's not, I just, I'm just doing this because I'll be a completely 100% honest. I felt like the Spirit told me to do it this way. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, if, if you say, Ken, I'm not ready. I want to be ready. I want to know that if I died, I want to know that if Jesus came back, that I'm ready, that I will meet him in the sky we're going to crack the sky together. <laughs> if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to come forward right now. In front, of, in front of everybody? Yeah, in front of everybody. I'm just going to ask you to come up right now. If you say, Ken, would you pray for me? I, I need to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, there's going to be a breakthrough that happens as you obey, as you respond. If you, maybe, maybe there's someone next to you and you don't know if they're ready. Maybe you don't know them from Adam. You could just... Yeah, as they come, if, if others want to come and just surround them and anybody else. Anybody else?
We don't do it this way every week because that's not how I feel led every week. But this week, I feel like God's going to do something. He's going to break through. Anybody else would say, that's me. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for the courage of these individuals. As they humble themselves right now and just say, I need Jesus. I can't do this without you. I need your forgiveness. Empower me, Spirit of God, to follow you. To live for you, not to live for myself any longer, but to live for you. As these guys are praying in the front, I'm going to invite you, as you're as, in your chairs, you have those three names that maybe you wrote down, maybe you didn't write them down yet, but church, can we just begin to pray for those in our lives who aren't ready that, that, God, would, that God would do a miracle? We're, listen, we're believing for a revival. We're believing for a great awakening where there's going to be conviction that's going to happen in workplaces, in break rooms, in schools, on school buses, where we're going to have friends and family members who are literally going to be like, how can I be saved? You say, well, that would never happen. It has happened in the past. We're believing for an outpouring of the Spirit. So can we just, church, as they're praying up here, would you just begin to pray over your friends, over your family members? Begin to lift them up to the Lord. ask our prayer partners to come to the front. Thank you, Kevin. Other, are there other prayer partners? Yeah, if you guys make yourself available. Maybe you need prayer for something in your life. Maybe you walked in the doors this morning and there's something just so heavy, uh, a diagnosis that happened this last week, or maybe there's a financial issue or a relationship issue. I had a lady in the first service that was talking about being estranged from her daughter for 15 years, and you say, Ken, I, I need prayer. These prayer partners that were up here, they would, they would love to be able to pray with you and for you. Maybe, maybe a minute ago when we invited you to come forward, you're just like, I can't do it. But as everybody else is leaving this morning, you say, I, I'm going to be obedient. I'm not going to walk out of here without following through. We'd love, love, love to be able to pray with you for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for my friends who have made a commitment to follow you. God, I pray for protection over them protection over their minds, over their spirits. God, I pray that you would empower them, that you would give them a boldness and a strength to actively, actually follow after you. God, I pray for those others in the room who, who felt like they should respond but just, just didn't have it in this moment. God, I pray that as everybody else is leaving, that they would take a step of faith and come up and, and just say, hey, I, I need Jesus or whatever the issue is. God, we want to live for you. We want to be ready. You are coming back, Jesus. We want to be ready. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.